Hello, folks, and welcome to our eighth episode here, I believe, of 3 and 3, going through the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind. Now, I have missed a couple weeks there, just as random pauses there. And during this episode, I apologize if you're my dog crunching around on her bed here. But she's being very needy today and attached to me because it's really cold in Minnesota right now. But we are on book eight of the series, which is entitled Naked Empire. And this is the stage after our last book, which was Pillars of Creation, which, as if you listen to the previous episode here, I was not a big fan of, and I explained most of my reasons in kind of one longerish rant, almost, instead of trying to be more constructive. But that's where I was still at with the book, even after all this time from the first read, and that hasn't gone away. Also, it kind of reminds me now, as I'm going into this one, one of the biggest criticisms of the series that I've seen on the internet and that type of thing is that and it was also one of our comments from someone on our Facebook page a while back, and I don't remember whose name it was offhand, but the books start to get very formulaic right now. Formulaic, formulaic. They follow the formula pretty well of this is what's going to happen, something happens here, da 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 and they all start to blend into one. And this is the one, personally, where I thought it more compared to the rest, and this is kind of a bit on that little downslide of... It's going to be ironic that I said downward slide here of the two books between Pillars of Creation and Naked Empire, because going through it here, these are my least favorite two of the series. And the fact that he's getting to or was getting to this point where near the end of the series, where, and I don't know how well he actually had the full series planned out ahead of time. There's times where you can tell if an author has a full plan. And this one seems like there wasn't a full plan and it was just writing book to get books in and what I mean there is looking at plans I'm going to use one of my favorite authors current authors right now is Brent Weeks and when he wrote the Lightbringer series it started off as a trilogy but then it morphed into four and then it morphed into five and yes there was a plan there but it seems like especially the last book was very rushed and I had this conversation with a friend of mine and he brought out the fact of, well, there's these things that got brought up in this book. And then next thing you know, it's already resolved and it's done. And it felt like there should have been, even though the final book of that series was huge, the books should have been longer or broken into a six version. Here, though, it felt like this book kind of could be cut out and not much really would be lost in the context of what we were going for. But anyway, those are the mini rants of a start of an episode. Starting off here, we have, again, good Bad, good, too bad, and good. And I'll actually try to keep to that formula this time, even though I broke it in the last episode. First thing is, and this is going to be on the good side here, our new villain in this um, book, it's almost kind of turning into villain of the week type a little bit here, even though we still have the Imperial Order is out there as a overall villain. But we have Nicholas the Slide. And a slide they can slide into pun intended there, or not really pun intended, the irony of the fact that I was talking about how slide earlier, but he can slide into the different minds of things and be able to see what's going on, almost like a dreamwalker, if you will. And one of the, one of my favorite scenes of the series, even though I don't like the book as a whole, came from this book. And in the scene, it is very near the end of the book. It is actually chapter, and I'm looking at the book real quick, chapter 62. 
And throughout this whole book, Richard has been distraught, destroyed pretty much by what's been going on. He's been poisoned by Nicholas, which I'll actually get into my second um, positive point here. And Kaylin sacrificed herself for the antidote. She's been captured by Nicholas. And after all this, Richard finally figures out the plan of how he's going to beat Nicholas, even though Nicholas can basically be everywhere at once with his slide abilities. And as he's starting to explain this plan, saying, yep, okay, we have, here's the plan, there's going to be this attack, we're going to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to tell you the rest of this when you wake me up three, two hours from now or whatever it was. And throughout this whole thing, Nicholas is sitting there listening to the whole conversation of how this plan is forming. And it's chilling the fact of how he's going, all right, and I'll be there and I'll know this plan and I will know exactly what to do to defeat you. Also during this, you have Kaylin, who's who is nearby as well because she's been captured Nicholas. And she's able to hear this and her fear of the fact that Richard doesn't know that Nicholas knows what the plan is, is terrifying of how showing that this villain knows what's going to happen next. And it ends up being that Richard already figured this out and he's already resolved around it. But just that scene and how chilling it was at the time was great. And I enjoy it thoroughly. But that brings me to one of the not as good things here. Okay, And this is Nicholas being a slide. Okay, And they explain it as he's able to slide into mines and that sort of thing. But my big issue here is, okay, one... Calling it a slide seems like kind of like it needs more for a villain. Ooh, you're a slide. Cool. In our real world, it'd be like, oh, interesting. But anyway, that's not the point of why this is one of my negatives. Is since a slide is so similar to a dreamwalker, it seems like we basically got a uh, big bad light here almost. Because Jigang is the big bad of the series. He's the dreamwalker. But now Nicholas, he has very similar abilities, but he's just... He's a lighter version, so you know it's not going to be as strong of a thing. And why would you have someone who's so similar in scope and ability compared to your big bad? I mean, is it trying to do foreshadowing of, okay, this is how they're going to try to get the plan set up to be able to beat him in the end? Or is it just going to be kind of this thing that will pop up and that's it? So, again, not a fan of the fact of how similar their abilities were, but... That's kind of the way it worked. Back to the good, though. Now, Nicholas, I am a fan of one of the great moments that he was as a villain. Because one of the things that he'd done in the book was he poisoned Richard. And they had an antidote that could save his life. And it wasn't necessarily... Um, sorry, I have to go back here. It wasn't Nicholas who poisoned Richard. What happened was... The people of the Naked Empire, who are actually more ungifted children, descendants of different raw children, and they poisoned Richard to try to get him to help, and they promised they'd get him the antidote. Well, Nicholas found out about this plan, and he ended up going and stealing the antidote so that they couldn't give it to Richard. Now, normally, in a lot of pieces of work that happen in stories like this, the villain, they will start to monologue, they will, and I love the fact that the Incredibles made fun of that, they'll start to monologue and they'll still forget to do something and forget about the fact that they want to kill the hero. Well, Nicholas doesn't do that. Instead, he takes the antidote and he smashes it and breaks it, which is great because now when Kaylin goes to try to make this trade, we know that it's not the antidote, but she doesn't, and it creates that sense of terror for us for her and 
then when Richard drinks it, knows that it is fake, well, it kind of puts the writing on the wall that, all right, you're pretty much going to be gone for at this point. And just the fact that he broke, Nicholas broke the antidote made it great for me. You have a villain who's willing and not going to be dumb in this sense. I mean, later on, he gets overconfident in that and does fail in his task. But the fact that at that point, he was going to do something smart, perfect. You have the chance to kill the hero, you might as well do something to make it more likely to happen. Now, the next two bads, they kind of go together here. And I'm going to... And I'm going to explain them as this, and I will put, I'll say them both here, and then as they start to mix, you'll see why I kind of start to mix them. The first is Wizard's Eighth Rule, okay? And that is deserve victory. Now, it sounds like a really great rule of, okay, you have to deserve the victory you have. And it ties into the third negative, which is Richard's gift and how he uses it and how strong and powerful it is. And now we'll go into how they mix and entwine together. Now, one of the big problems that happens during this book is Richard is having issues with the gift, he's having issues with the sort of truth, and he can't figure out what is going wrong. And it's failing. And they see this statue, and there's writing on it that translates to the words, deserve victory. And it takes Richard almost the whole book before he realizes that, okay, he's been doing things wrong his whole wizardry career since almost book two. And it's that one of the things that Richard started doing was he stopped eating meat, as an example, because he had to balance out the lives that he was taking for using the Sword of Truth. And But now, now we get to book eight where, okay, nope, you know, you got to deserve victory. I mean, you, you can't just feel bad about killing people because they're trying to kill you. you. You deserved what you had to do and you had to save your life. Okay, but shouldn't that have been something that was introduced sooner? I mean, we have... The fact that it almost seemed like this um, wizard's rule was almost brought in as a plot convenience of, all right, where do we go next with Richard? We've had him down to his low. He's got to follow reason. He's now set back around and he has the support of the people. He's starting to change people's minds after um, Faith of the Fallen. He's now saved people who started to lose things, wanted to fight against him with Jensen and the pose of creation. And now we've got to bring him way back down and take his gift away because he did not believe in himself enough. He should have he should have understood that everything he did was right. But he did understand what he was doing was right already. He thought what he was doing was right, and he tried to balance things out in his mind. And the fact that this claim of, well, the fact that he's eating cheese instead of meat in, and this is how I'm using it in paraphrasing it mostly is, that's him not believing in himself. No, he still believed what he was doing was right. And if he thought killing people was wrong, he would put the sword down because that's the type of character he's been established as. It So obviously he knows what he's doing is in the right thing. So this almost seemed a little too plot convenience heavy for me. Even though I like the idea that, yes, you have to deserve the victory, but it shouldn't be to that point that when you've had him not believing in this sense for the past five books, why is it only popping up now? But that ties back into Richard's gift here, and this was my third negative thing. When Richard is dying, because the antidote for the poison was shattered, he is asks the people, take me into the hut of the person who made the poison, because he obviously made the antidote there. So Richard goes in and he starts, he's almost succumbing to this poison, and during this he starts to Tell them, okay, I need this herb, this herb, this herb, and this herb. Okay. Why do you need these herbs? And 
he starts getting them to make the antidote for him of this poison that he knows nothing about, but now, because of his gift, being a war wizard, because if he needs it, his desire will help, the gift will guide him, now he's able to create this antidote because he's been able to get his gift back. And this is where, again, going back to internet-wise here, people started talking about how Richard's gift is almost to Mary Sue Lake, where nothing is going to hurt him. He has the most plot armor of anyone, and that's true. But his gift, being a war wizard, should have just been war wizard doing things that involve war. But now it's, okay, you need to be able to cure yourself? Sure, here you go. Here's how to do it. Find this knowledge of things, and you will get it. And I, it's just annoying that the gift that he has is... Even though I want to go back to Temple of the Winds, he was able to get the full gift. He'd be able to know how to use it. He gave it up, but now he keeps getting moments where it pops through and he's able to save himself repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. There needed to be a better balance here, and it kind of happens in the next trilogy here of the three, but not to the level where it needed to be before that. So, again, my thoughts there. Feel free to disagree with me as you will. The last good thing. And this is because, one, it brought one of my favorite characters back into the books, and that was the character of Chase. Now, if you remember, Chase was a boundary warden back in book one, and he came with Richard, and he adopted this child, Rachel. And they come back, and there was Zed, and they're helping to retake the wizard's keep from Jagang's forces. And they managed to do it, and you see the type of man that Chase is. He's this caring, devoted husband, even though he kind of left his wife for a long period of time. He, sorry, it... It kind of pops up there, but um, he's devoted to his adopted daughter. He's keeping her safe. He's teaching her how to survive in this world. And we get this moment during the keep where Zed is reminiscent of when the keep was fully active with different people and wizards and all that and children running down the halls and having fun. And we have Zed who goes and gives a ball to Rachel and wants her to go and play and be a kid again. Even though she's seen all these horrors of this life, He's still trying to let her be this child and enjoy the fun of what the Wizard's Keep would have to offer, of exploring, enjoying your time before you get too old and adult responsibilities arrive, and just the joy that Zed has at seeing Rachel having fun in the Keep again and laughter hopefully ringing out in the hall soon is enough to try to give that little bit of hope of what's going to be coming next. And what is going to be coming next? What is going to be coming next is the final three books of the series, and they are referred to as the Chainfire Trilogy, because they are all, and the next book is called Chainfire, and they are all tied together with lucid adaptations of why they would be considered a trilogy because of what happens in the next book. And we'll try to finish those in the next three weeks here. And that is it, because I'm not going into the extra books. I'm only covering the main series line here. So, please... If you enjoy what you hear or want to say comments on how stupid I am about things, which you're probably not wrong, give us a shout on our page here or head to the Facebook page. Like us, follow, give some comments too. We'll try to get some more content back. We're pretty close to actually setting up meeting ideas on how to figure out what we're going to be doing next. So from Minnesota, which is freezing cold today as I'm recording this, please stay warm and safe wherever you are and have a good rest of your day.